this is the On The Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's Jason. I need your help. This show has experienced tremendous growth in the two months that we've been in existence. A heartfelt thank you from me to you for listening to this podcast. I want more and more coaches, parents, players, men, women, boys, and girls who love the game of soccer to learn about this show. So, I need your help. Help me in one of two ways. One, tell a friend that you like this podcast. Just like you would with a restaurant or an item of clothing or a service that you enjoy. Word of mouth still matters in 2019. The second If you listen to the show on Apple Podcast, please go and leave a five-star rating and a review. Before you go any further, hit pause and do it now. All right, let's get on with the show. I recently had the opportunity to sit down and chat with a college coach whom I deeply admire and respect. Growing up in Rochester, New York, Nikki Izzo-Brown played a number of sports, but soccer was what drew her greatest interest. In 1992, she was a college All-American at the University of Rochester as an outside back. After graduating from the University of Rochester, she took on a graduate assistantship at West Virginia Wesleyan College. She was later elevated to head coach in 1994. In 1995, a career-changing opportunity presented itself for Izzo Brown. She could take over a newly formed Division I program at West Virginia University in Morgantown, West Virginia. WVU was adding women's soccer, and they needed a trailblazer. Izzo Brown was up for the challenge. 24 years later, She has been the only head coach in program history and has never had a losing season. Highlights include a College Cup runner-up finish in 2016, countless All-American and academic All-American players, players who have played in the Women's World Cup, Olympics, and players that have been selected to play professionally, both domestically as well as abroad. Two of her players were recently drafted in the latest NWSL draft, and those were Bianca St. George and Grace Cutler. Part of why I wanted to talk to Nikki is how she has adapted and evolved as a coach over time. I think you'll find Nikki incredibly interesting. Her passion for the game, Nikki is hardworking, she's admittedly blue-collar in her approach. She also talks about why she became a coach and the influence her college coach had on her in terms of getting into the coaching profession. She also talks about the challenges that she's had along the way, from being young on the job when she first took over the role at WVU, but also adapting to today's players. I hope you enjoy episode 21 of On the Touchline, my conversation with the head women's coach at West Virginia University, Nikki Izzo Brown. 
tell me a little bit about uh, what it was like growing up in Rochester, uh, New York, and um, that experience and the access you had to soccer uh, as a young lady at the time and sort of what the soccer scene was that led you to playing uh, collegiately. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think I was very fortunate that you know, we, we had an opportunity for girls-specific soccer. Um, I never realized that I wasn't fortunate um, until I came to, to the state of West Virginia. Um, but growing up, you know, we, I, we, we had, you know, rec soccer, then we had a travel soccer um, opportunity. And, you know, I just loved the sport. You know, of course, my older brother played, so I always had to do whatever he did um, and better. So that was always uh, something that, that drove me. But I just loved to participate in any kind of competition. And um, I played as many sports as I could. And just soccer was always my passion and always my first love. So, but I was, I was fortunate and, you know, I always listened to my mother and, and, and how she used to speak about not having those opportunities. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, when I, and I try to share this with my athletes now, when I came out to choose a college, there was only 75 division one, two, and three. Hmm. So, you know, I, here I am being recruited to Cornell, uh, Buffalo, you know, Rochester, um, you know, and I didn't really know the difference between Division One, Two, and Three. Mm -hmm. You know, there really wasn't. They all played each other to, to some level on mm -hmm. the schedule. So it was kind of funny. And, you know, we used to, in the spring, go and play North Carolina. So it was, it was just really interesting, um, the dynamic of that. I mean, we had league play and all that. But, um, you know, it was, it was really interesting. And, and one thing that always, you know, stuck... In, in my mind about the game of soccer when I talk about 75 programs you know right now I think we're at 352 just division one programs mm -hmm. so when I um, decided to become a graduate assistant and pursue my MBA um, you know I I remember you know becoming a graduate assistant and then two years later all this title nine started happening all these division one programs had to happen mm -hmm. And I remember saying to my mother, oh, why couldn't you have me, you know, four years later? And she was like, but think about a profession you can have and these opportunities. So that, that's kind of my, I guess, uh, early years of, of soccer and, and taking um, advantage of those opportunities. But, um, you know, they always stick in my mind and then thinking, okay, I had so much opportunity given to me from a game I love and always now always having to give back. What were you like as a player? <laughs> I, I, I think I read you, you're a defender. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I tend to lean to that side of uh, of the ball, I guess you could say. And uh, center back, uh, I love goalkeeping. Yeah. Um, you know, I the, my coaching partner, he was the opposite. He's a he, he was a striker, uh -huh. and he wants to put it in the back of the net, whereas right. you know we're the people that want to stop it. Right. What were you like as a player? Yeah. So f funny. You asked that. I, of course, I was a center mid because I always wanted to be involved, and, and that's where I played um, in high school. And high school really mattered back then. And then, really, travel soccer, or at least a club team, developed. You know, it wasn't just in house. So that's where I felt like I was on a super select team. There wasn't ODP when I grew up. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm sure it was like. And then this traveling team that brought all the Rochester girls together happened, and I was fortunate enough to get on that team. But with that being said, when I went to college, 
uh, my my coach said to me, you know, we, we really need an outside back. You know, would you be willing to do that? I, I see some strengths of yours um, that could really, you know, help. And I was like, sure. You know, and again, it's just an opportunity to compete, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think back then, um, you know, some of the better players were always midfield or more athletic or more involved players. I wouldn't say the better players um, played in midfield just because you were always involved. But as a, I was the second leading goal scorer as an outside back, you know, and that was something that I loved to do, you know, because I could go forward but come back. So, you know, but as a player, um, you know, I always controlled what I could control. I always felt like, you know, I was going to be the hardest working player. I was going to be the hardest player. Um, and, you know, when I when I stepped off the field, I represented my family well. And that was that was kind of my biggest thing was, you know, enjoy it. But you're you're playing uh, with a, a huge name, not only the college, but your families. Mm-hmm. So uh, a question that I like to ask fellow coaches mm-hmm. um, goes to the why. Mm-hmm. Why did you want to become a coach? So interesting enough, I you know, as we, I talked about, I'd love to compete. I played every sport. I played volleyball, basketball, softball. I even ran track one time. Didn't like that, but, um, but I, gymnastics, I did everything, everything my mom could, could and afford to assign me up to, I did. So I had a lot of coaches, um, that throughout those experiences, good and bad. And then I have this guy, Terry Gurnett at University of Rochester and he was a man's man but a woman's man right Mm. this guy was incredible you know he was just this incredible coach that really um kind of affected me in such a positive manner that i'm like wow if i could do what he did you know continue the love of the game but also um, have everybody fall in love with becoming the best and competing at a high level how incredible that is, but most importantly, be a great human being. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my thinking, like, wow, this, you know, I've never met somebody like this. So I thought if I could do that and, you know, have girls walk away like I did, wouldn't that be an incredible job, you know? Has that in any way shaped, I guess you could say, your philosophy or? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and I, I was just talking to an athlete before you came in. I always said, take the high road. Mm. Take that. You want to take the low road sometimes, but just take the high road. And this guy would always take the high road. He was just um, in, incredibly um, professional, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's always hard in our in our world to do that when you're competing, right? Sure. Um, Soccer is an emotional game. It is. It's so emotional. And, I, and you know, I, I don't think, you know, and for me, getting this opportunity so young, you know, I made so many mistakes. I still, I mean, I hope all coaches realize they make mistakes every day because I do, but especially early on, you know, I, I don't, I think because I was so competitive to a fault that, you know, that sometimes, um, got in my way of being a really good coach. I saw something floating around on uh, social media yesterday that speaks exactly to what you said, Nikki, that, um, the person basically said, if I could go back and talk to myself five years ago as a coach, you know, what, what would I say? Yeah. And um, I find myself doing that from time to time. And I, I've told this story before, but um, some of the parents I work with, so I work at the academy level. I'm working yeah. with, you know, young players. Great. And, um, you know, love that aspect of the game. But I had a parent come up to me um, when, I fir- when we were first getting going last summer and said to me, 
you're not a yeller or a screamer as a coach. And I said, no, I, I'm not. And if you're looking for that, I'm probably not the guy, yeah. you know, to, to, right. lead, to lead your team. Right. Not saying that there's not a place for that in the game because there are times where you need to interject that, that energy, yeah. you know, into a, a training session. But I also want youth players to walk away feeling probably a similar experience you had. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can develop that love and affinity for the game and, um, you know, you lit up when you were talking about that youth experience of, of just how powerful that was, mm-hmm. right? Because for me, that's part of why I actually walked away from soccer uh, as a youth player. And, you know, um, looking back on it, I'm going, man, I wish I would have made such a different decision at that point in my life, you know? And I don't want my kids to have that. No. Uh, my two daughters and my son, I don't yeah. don't want them to experience that, so. No, it is. It's hard because, you know, I had this awful softball coach and I was tough enough, you know, like mm-hmm. for, you know, I come from, I come from tough women. You know, but I was tough enough to be like, listen to the message, not the tone. But I mm. saw how these all my other players would crumble. You know, but I still loved the game. And I'd be like, I don't love the game more than I hate you. Right. You know, kind of thing. And I got why he was doing it. And I was mature enough mm-hmm. where other people, I get why they don't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And, and like... So what's what's been pretty cool for me was, you know, like you said, you, you know, I, I'm super intense. Like if there's a referee, man. You are. <laughs> Having watched you coach, you are. <laughs> but, you know, I also feel like that's, that's a piece of probably of accumulation of a snowball, a little bit of effect because of yeah. I'm a woman. And sometimes you don't get the same respect. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so... Just understanding that, you know, I'm going to fight for my girls just as much as, you know, he's going to fight for his, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm, I have to command a little bit differently, right? Maybe, maybe not, but that's just my personal opinion. Well, our, our players in a lot of ways are, um, you know, they're, they're not our blood in terms right. of our biological children, right. but they're damn near close to our biological sure. children, right? Sure. And uh, I love my players as much as I love my own kids mm-hmm. and, you know, we'll do anything and I agree with you right. fighting for them. Right. And, uh, I, I read something uh, in the last couple of days about um, when you first came to West Virginia mm-hmm. and, you know, being in your early, mid-20s, yeah. right? And that, um, you know, how, how every detail, right, in terms yeah. of how you dressed, how you presented oh, yourself, yeah. that, um, and if I'm, you know, mischaracterizing this, no, please jump in. No, good. I appreciate you doing research. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, that, uh, you know, wanting to almost look a little bit older, Um, you know, that, uh, you know, I want people to think I may be in my mid thirties, not my mid twenties. And I've had that similar experience in different professional aspects of my career. And, uh, you know, my forties looking me in the eye here in a couple years (laughs) and that, um, what was that like? I mean, so what was funny? Well, okay. So, and, and look at, I'm all about, you know, put the best coach out there. It doesn't have to, because I adore my college coach and he was a male. I adore him. Mm-hmm. Um, so put the best coach out there, right? Male or female. I'm not. I'm not just about women. Mm-hmm. I'm just about equality and putting the best coach out there. Mm-hmm. So the problem was, they would say, "Where's your coach?" So if I had shorts on, they mm-hmm. didn't know who I was, which was a, you know, now I would love that. So I would wear pants, mm-hmm. you know, so they could at least know that and or. If, imagine if my direct, my video guy, they'd always go to him first. Hmm. 
they'd say, hey, coach. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, if I had a, my goalkeeping coach. Yeah. So, you know, if there was ever a male around, they go to the male first. Hmm. I- <laughs> and it was just, and listen, and, you know, there's no, and I, I don't, um, and, and it was okay. It was okay, but, you know, I, I think when you're trying to find yourself as a coach, like, you know, again, my role model was um, Thurman Thomas, mm-hmm. right? My role model was the Buffalo Bills because I didn't know anybody else because you didn't have social media. I couldn't watch a soccer game. I mean, we had, you know, some, you know, it started a little bit later. We had a, like a, a semi-pro team in town. You know, now granted, if you had Beadling, thank God you had Beadling. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I didn't have that tradition of, of a soccer role model or, or a woman to look at really mm-hmm. to say, oh, wow, you know, maybe you had... Um, you know, Dorothy Ham. I had Dorothy Hamill. Yeah. You know, the figure skaters. You had the tennis player. You know, right. Uh, well, Chrissy Everett. And NWSL didn't exist. Right? No, there was there was no, you know, and I you know you know obviously Saturday morning, Sunday mornings, TV's always on. We always got EPL on or mm-hmm. you know something on. And I and I, I I just it's amazing. And my kids are watching, and I go, I didn't have this. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I you know and or. You know, when you have these females, you know, it was Pat Summit. Mm-hmm. I probably read every... So what I'm getting at is, you know, I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to be as a coach, right? I have this great mentor. I have a lot of other mentors I've looked at, but I have to be me, right? I can't be Bobby Knight. I can't be Pat Summit. Mm-hmm. but I'm just, like, figuring out. And then every time I go on the field, they're like, where's your coach? <laughs> you know, right? So, you know, and for me, it was... It, Ego doesn't drive me, even though, I, you know, you read every book, they say that's what drives you, you know, to some level. But I never got into coaching for ego, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember, I go, Mom, you know, I had my MBA. I go, Mom, you know, West Virginia University, I, I, they want to hire me, you know. And she's like, can you make a living? I'm like, I don't know. Well. I don't know. And I remember, I still have my first paycheck, and I remember at Wesleyan when I was a GA. I got a free sandwich. So I get this big turkey sandwich at lunch and it would go the whole day. And, you know, I was a graduate assistant and then, you know, so I had my tuition paid for, but you know, you had to pay for your housing. And then this residential life coordinator calls me up because would you be a residential life coordinator? You know, you seem, you know, we'd love to have you, you know, I think it was just because I had a heartbeat and I was older. And I was like, what do you got? Is that, I go, is that an RA? You know, he's like, yeah. I'm like, sure. So I was like, oh, I'll be an RLC, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's an extra $2,000, like sold. You know, so everything was like, you know, it wasn't like nowadays. I mean, you should be driven by money. I got kids sitting in here. I'm like, you should stay on the women's side. There's a lot more money. But yeah. back then, you know, there were, it was just an opportunity. Yeah. You know? Well, I appreciate the... Um you know, I, there's a, a motivational person, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Gary V, and he talks about sort of having to eat dirt in mm. one's career, right? Those were the dark ages, right? Where you're, where you're going like, you know, I got a, I got literally a turkey sub, turkey sandwich is going to last me mm-hmm. the whole damn day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, right. you know, right? And But I guess one thing that we try to convey to folks on this show is like the importance of like putting the time in the, you know, I, people say paying your dues, whatever. I mean, and, and what your mom said of like, can you make a living doing yeah. that? Right. Yeah. And, and I, I was so fortunate. Like I never had, 
you know, uh, any other pressure on me, you know, that I had to, you know, do. I mean, I had opportunities where, you know, when my mom went to school, it was nurse teacher, nurse teacher, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So at least when, when I came through, you know, in the 90s, you know, I was fortunate enough that, you know, you had an opportunity or options. And then my family supported any option I had. Just, oh, can you make a living, right? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking if my daughter came to me with some you know, position like that. I, I, I hope I'd be that open-minded and, and supportive. And I, and I think this, like, and I've said this, you know, I talk about this a lot. I don't hold anybody, like, I'm not a queen bee. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, I starved. I'm blue collar. I grew up, I didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth, and I'm so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful for my journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, you know, I'm like, oh, I'd never start a program again because I don't have the energy. <laughs> but, I, you know, like, I can't, I, I can't hold it against my assistants that they've never starved. They've been able to walk in sure. and, and not starve yeah. or to have a car or to have a phone or to, ha- you know. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think sometimes... We have to, as us older people, you know, we can't, you know, be like, well, you got to grind because you got to understand, you know, you do, but we have to kind of teach them in a different way, mm-hmm. you know, and I think for me personally, that's how I've had to evolve too, because, you know, the kids nowadays, whatever they call them, I don't, I, I think generation Y, because sure. they're always saying Y to me, you know, <laughs> I used to tell them, listen, 15 years ago I just gave you the brick now I gotta put velvet around the brick mm-hmm. you know and and that's kind of the mentality now like you know my my friend and I my friend at Georgetown him and I are always talking and we you know we we can talk about the that there isn't as much of a struggle um, but I still think people struggle and I just had a, a kid, uh, co- a young coach in here. I said, you're gonna have to struggle. You're gonna have to volunteer. You're gonna have to, you know, bag balls, but it'll pay off because you're investing in your career, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is, Mr. Broadwater, is that I turn on Twitter and I see Beyonce and she's got 16 carrots all over her, but nobody shows her story all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's immediate gratification always because I could go, oh, I don't know that. Immediate gratification. I could find it on the phone. So these kids don't get to see. They never saw that. We saw that. I mean, you saw your parents struggle because you, yes. you're older. Yes. Right? Your kids don't see you struggle. No. I, my wife and I talk about that all the time. That um, Our son, he's eight. Mm-hmm. He literally has everything he needs. And... There isn't, so, you know, back to what you said, Saturday and Sunday mornings at our house are very similar. TV's on, EPL's on, Bundesliga's on, you know, we catch NWSL when we can, both men's and women's national teams, whatever. The access the kids have to everything, not not just soccer. Everything. Everything is incredible. It is. Um, It it actually blows me away uh, in terms of what is actually out there. Um, Because... You know, and, and I always tell people that um, for me, sort of one of the defining moments in my soccer career was World Cup 94. Yeah. But I always tell people soccer started well before yeah. World Cup 94, right? But it was here, so you probably went. Did you go to a game? Um, I, I didn't, but I, I watched. Watched it, yeah. Um, played in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my friend and I actually made a World Cup trophy. <laughs> How fun. 
that uh, you know we sort of competed against each other and were different countries yeah. or whatever. But um, yeah, I agree with you. It it has shifted, and um, so maybe that's a good segue into how do you get into the psychology of today's athlete yeah. uh, versus maybe an athlete that you had ten years ago, yeah. you know, pre iPhone, uh, pre right a- access I, to information. I, I think so, and I can only speak for you know maybe maybe women, right? And I'm going to say this, there, there wasn't all these things and opportunities. So a lot of what the girls were just grateful to be there. They want, they were, they were, you know, now you could get whatever you want in 300, you know, 300 schools. Okay. You know, at least 50, same thing, you know, you walk in here and you see all these things, they can't get that anywhere. So the, and so the mentality has shifted a little bit as to, um, you know, how do you get to be the best and, and how that happens, you know. And, and I think for me, you know, trying to um, relate to this generation has been, you know, a huge learning experience because who I am was all about um, opportunity, working hard, they just work hard differently, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, sometimes they don't understand what a commitment really means, you know, and it's funny, like, these kids, if it's organized, they go. You already said to me that you and your friend organized a World Cup. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen now, because we right. have play dates. we have... Uh, you got to go do speed and agility at Beadling. You got to go do uh, striker camp. You got to do, you know. So these kids are so used to that aspect. Where's the self motivation? They're motivated, mm-hmm. but it's just different. I often talk about so similar to you played a bunch of sports besides yeah. soccer and uh, where I grew up uh, actually the same town as uh, Hannah Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, my husband uh, taught out that way. Yeah. A little old fair chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that, uh, you know, there would be a basketball game going on at the local playground, yeah. sun up to sundown. Yeah. And part of it was sort of finding your place in the pack, mm-hmm. right, where you would show up, and my buddies and I would show up, but we'd be playing against kids that are four or five, six years older than us, mm-hmm. considerably bigger, more right. talented, whatever. There wasn't the structure. Mm-hmm. So are we too structured? Mm-hmm. We are. We are. And... You know, I, I think sometimes, in my opinion, we don't, um, so we're so structured, but we also, we always find reasons why things aren't going a kid's way. So what I notice a lot, and what I say that, are we too structured? Yes, we're too structured because we don't let our kids fail. We protect them. We got safety belts. We got safety nets. We got helmets. We got, you know, all these things. Is it the kid's fault? No. But when are you? When are you going to let your kid fail? Mm-hmm. No, that's not that. Your job is not to do that, is it? So with all these structured environments, you know what I find now, and I giggle about this all the time, is club teams, right? You know this. Well, Coach Broadwater says, my first touch isn't good enough, so I'm going to go play for the Riverhounds because Coach, you know, X says my touch is great. So where did you fail? You didn't fail. Mm-hmm. Your parents found another structure and they fixed it. Yeah. 
So, you know, so then when I get them, I'm like, listen, no blind spots, no blind spots. Okay, I'll fix it together. But just so you understand, I appreciate you. But so that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. And think about it. Teachers are petrified to tell kids they're not good enough. Why? Lawsuit. Uh, <laughs> repercussions from the parents. You name it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, push I, back. You know, and I'm not a perfect parent. I remember something happened where I don't know what my daughter did. I can't remember specifically what she did. And... I got wind of it, and I had steam coming out of my ears, and I wrote that teacher, and I said, if she ever does that again, I swear to God, you better let me know, because she will, you know, she won't go to school with a jacket on. Just kidding. And he was like, this is the first email I've ever gotten like this. Wow. You know, because we're at a private school. Mm-hmm. 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 Wow. So, you know, so I, you know, and, and the thing is, like, um, you know, my thing is with this generation, too, they want to have a relationship. They want to be connected. They want to, you know, they're, they're lovable. Mm-hmm. They're lovable. They just don't know how to get there, you know. And I'm a player's coach. I tell this to recruits all the time. Come on in. Come sit, you know, even though I don't have, you know, time to drink my water. Come sit. Sit down. Let's talk, you know, because they... They want that connection. They they want that, uh, you know. And some kids don't. Not all of them are the same. But they really want to know that you're invested in them. And how do you get invested in somebody? Well, it's not just blowing your whistle for sure. Mm-hmm. So we we really do a lot of investment in this generation too, because they need that. They've always had that. Mm-hmm. They've always had this. So they still need this. Sure. You know. So uh, a question that I ask every guest that I have yeah. on the show, uh, what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong when it comes to soccer in the U.S.? You know, I, um, I well, pay to play. You know, that's, that's a tough one. You know, I, I think that, you know, we don't need four uniforms. I think we need a T-shirt and a number if we do need that. You know, and everyone buy a black pair of shorts. Um, so I, I'm, I'm smiling, by the way, because... <laughs> I've had similar thoughts run through my head. <laughs> um, you know, my, my biggest, you know, my biggest thing is, you know, and, and again, I don't like to criticize unless I help find solutions, right? So I think hmm. that U.S. soccer does have um, some uphill battles, you know, and I think they're trying to figure it out, but money's getting in the way um, of everything, always. My thing is, if we could get some after-school programs right away just introduce the game you know and have things right away at the schools um you know and and be have that opportunity so every kid gets to participate and just have some after-school free opportunity somehow some way and that's where the funding goes uh to the coaches and to that opportunity i think that would be great and then the kids could fall in love with it learn it right and then hopefully move on and then you know, I, I mean, I think the DAs are trying to, you know, do it that well. But again, there's still faults in that. Um, but if I could, if I had all the money in the world, you know, I would try to hit every middle school and and put a program in after right immediately after school, give them a snack and mm-hmm. just run something for an hour. I have uh, friends well, of mine that have been to Europe talk about futsal courts yeah. being available, you know, in every corner and. Um, I haven't, you know, concocted a plan, but 
in my lifetime that is something that I would like to see and be a part of in some way, yeah. you know, to the degree that I can, right. um, because I'm only one person. Totally. And, uh, but it takes all of us kind of rowing in the same direction. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that basketball court that I mentioned, that baseball field, um, you know, I, I want people to use them. I want, you know, but in the case of, uh, you know, a futsal or soccer fields or, or whatever, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, you literally need a ball in a surface to play this game. I know, I know. If you could do that yeah. and get that running, you yeah. know, and I lecture our clubs all the time. I'm like, you don't need four uniforms. Yeah. I love that just, you know, some people would say simplistic or, or whatever, but it's you ball on a surface is all you need it's not it's not, you know we're not in a pageant <laughs> oh my gosh well you know it's funny so i could talk about developing a division one program or developing a state of soccer because when i came here not one girl there was not one girls um high school team mm -hmm. and there was not one girls club team they, the girls had to play with the boys so when i came in here i had to think about not only growing um the sport of soccer in the state, but also developing a program. So here I am, you know, I was so funny. I became a, I was a, I started the Olympic development program here in the state of West Virginia. Mm -hmm. You know, I started, uh, started a girls club team with special people. Like don't, you know, you can't take that all on, but I don't know if I ever got paid for that. Mm -hmm. I don't think I did. And I didn't really care at that point. Right. And if I got gas money, I got gas money. Now these coaches, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just, you know, it was just to develop and give back. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of us like that. Mm -hmm. I think there are. It's just you get roadblocks. Yes. You know, and I'm not saying, and I, and I always say that, I don't fault anyone for taking a paycheck, for being a club coach. Mm -hmm. Heck no, because somebody else is going to. Right. But how hard are you working as that club coach? Probably more than what they're paying me. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, and like I, I volunteer with this local club here in town, and I don't want to be paid. And I'm not, I don't, I've never been paid now from here on out. But, um, you know, but I, I, I sure do coach like I'm being paid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great place to end it. Um, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no, awesome. I absolutely love talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope I get to play in that futsal field someday you can teach me a thing or two i don't know about that but it'll be it'll be good futsal wasn't around i don't i mean i, I know it but you know, i've never even really participated with it yeah all right before i go a massive thank you to the head women's coach at west virginia university Nikki Izzo-Brown for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast, and also a special shout out to Shannon Wolfgang of the WVU Athletics Communications team for helping set up this conversation with Coach Izzo-Brown. Shannon, thank you so much for uh, all your time and your help in making this conversation possible. If you like this show or episodes of On the Touchline, please share them out on social media. And when you do, please use the hashtag on the touchline, all one word. You can tag me at any time on Twitter or Instagram, and my handle is at soccercoachjb. I have more and more excellent conversations with members of the soccer community coming your way every Wednesday and Saturday, 
And next week's episodes are absolutely fantastic. I hope you've enjoyed the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And until next time, I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.